is we need to create a language which enables us to live out of it, you know? And so one of the things that I, you know, if we talk about faith, but not just faith, just life in general, that the language that we have can either restrict us or it can open up doors into a new imagination, right? And so like, what are we trying to achieve? Where are we trying to go? And those questions, um, I think are really important, but also then what words are we using in order to to create that? You know, we talked about faith right now, right? Mm. Um, there's a way to tell the Christian story that ends up just siding with, you know, systems of impression and power, which actually just continues to marginalize people and continues to uphold the status quo. Well, there's a way of talking about it and telling that story that brings freedom and liberation and and centers love and centers the voices of those who've been oppressed and harmed. All right, so so I guess what we're talking about is how, how do we use our language and the words that, that we speak to transform our reality, to change our reality, um, to transcend it. be honest i'm really getting bad at these intros i think they get shorter and shorter and shorter and it's because i don't want to waste any time i just want to jump right into these shows but anyway we're here i'm seth this is the show and yeah let me tell you a bit about the guest so today brought on aj hendry now aj lives in a city in new zealand that i cannot pronounce but he is doing some amazing work in and around like homelessness and youth and where like justice and faith intersect. I love what he's doing. He's somebody that I've been watching from afar for many, many years, reading his work. And so I think you're going to enjoy this very, very much. So let's do it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Aaron Hendry, I've been reading the words that you write for many years now. I think it's three or four years now. And um, yeah, man, welcome to the show. For those listening, uh, you and I are in different days as we record this, which is weird to say. That's a, that's a thing. I'm used to shifting time zones. I'm not used to shifting dates. I actually went to your website earlier before I came down. And what's funny is it's it's like postmarked. And so I was reading an article that says it was posted on February 18th, but it's not <laughs> February 18th for me. Um, but anyway, welcome to the show, man. Um, how are you? Kia ora. Kia ora. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Thanks, yeah. for, thanks for having me on. It's great, to, yeah, it's great to meet you in person, mate. Been listening to your show for a little while now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate so that. In person, through, the, through a screen, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, come yeah. up to Virginia or I'll... It's New Zealand, right? I'll, I'll go down. Yeah. To, yeah. Why not? Just come to New Zealand, bro. Easy. How Easy, long does it take? You know? uh, uh, I don't know from where you are. A, a long time, I would imagine. So from California, I would assume, is where most people fly from. How long is that? Oh, you're testing me now. I think the last time, because I got Fano in California. So I, I don't know if it's like an 18-hour trip. It's not bad. Maybe more. Maybe less. I've probably gotten that wrong and people are going to blow you up saying it's not that long. <laughs> no but, one's going to blow me up because okay. I don't know. <laughs> you could be lying. You could have said three days. I wouldn't I wouldn't know. <laughs> the furthest I've ever flown is Thailand. Um, so we left from LAX, mm. went to Tokyo, and then on to Thailand. And that um, that was a heck of a flight. That was a long way. So Yeah. Yeah. So who are you? What are you? People are listening and they're like, all right, what are we doing here? Like, 
what would you want people to know about you? Who are you? That's a big question there, bro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where do you start? Where do you want to start? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, Look, I guess in terms of the the mahi that I do, I'm a I'm a youth development worker at heart. Like I serve young people, and specifically rangatahi young people that are sort of at the margins of society. Right now, I lead a service that um, supports the rangatahi that are experiencing homelessness, young people that are on the streets and needing to be into housing. Um, and I run a program that supports them into housing and gives the wraparound care and support once they're housed. But yeah, also, uh, I guess I do a lot of writing and podcasting myself um, through that like sort of intersection between justice and faith and um, how those things sort of go together. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like alongside that, that's sort of my work, but, you know, my father as well, I've got two beautiful little boys, um, a little three-year-old and um, a one-year-old who just, you know, delights a lot of my life and, um yeah, obviously an amazing wife who really helps me do everything that I do, keeps my life in order and keeps me going, really. <laughs> yeah, um, my kids and my wife would agree. Um, and she says it often, which is probably why my kids agree. Um, she'll say things like, if you're, if I ever die, I'm going to need you to teach your dad how to do this. Because like, I know how to do a lot of things. Um, none of them are are adequately to take care of our kids. Like I, I would just, I don't know, I would screw up. Um, I feel like, have you seen the YouTube video of like a dad and he has, um, his girl's hair in like the little vacuum and then he slides a scrunchie up on it. He's like, there we go. Ponytail. It's done. That would be, that would be me. So you said at the beginning to ask you if you said a word that I was like, I don't know what that word means. So you said tahi. Mm. What is that? Oh, oh I said rangatahi. Something um, like that. I don't know. Actually. Yeah. yeah. No. yeah so what is that? That's young people. Okay. Yeah, and that is what language? So that that is that is the Tarawa Maori uh, word. So the Maori people are the indigenous people, the Tangata Whenua, the people of the land of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, and so, yeah, it is pretty common um, that we use sort of different words um, within our culture. Mm. Um, that's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, my, myself, I guess, just grounding that, you know, I'm I'm uh, Pakia, which is to be like non Māori, um, and also like Tangata Tiriti, so um, which is to be a, the people of the treaty. So, in I don't know if you know much around Aotearoa and New Zealand history, but mm-hmm. uh, we had a treaty signed in the 1800s, and so my um, ancestors. Um, our place in Aotearoa and our place in New Zealand has come through the signing of that treaty where we came alongside Tangata Whenua and said, hey, we're going to be two people working towards, you know, a better New Zealand. Obviously, that didn't really go the way we wanted it to. Um, mm-hmm. Some real terrible stuff that happened through that. But, you know, in terms of my role in, in Aotearoa, I'm a Tangata Tiriti, a treaty partner. Yeah, so that's similar then to the United States and the way that we treated indigenous peoples and treaties so we make it and then just break it is that is that what you're saying i don't know very i know yeah effectively I mean, zero uh, oh, about yeah music. it was complex and it's um you know one of the great things about having the treaty is we sort of have a baseline we always come back to around hey where did we go wrong but yeah very very early after the signing of um Tetiriti, you know there was a lot of abuses and crown abuses where you know the crown took land you know colonized the the country and really it wasn't an equal partnership Mm. as we've seen across the globe and we're still dealing with all of that today which i'm sure we'll get into if we start talking a little bit about the work yeah yeah so you said that you work with homeless youth so what does that look like for you or or homelessness and youth maybe i'm putting words in your mouth 
what does that look mm. like on a day-to-day basis? Like, like how did you get yeah. into that? And what, it, like, what is that just for contrast? Yeah. I mean, how I got into that is a story in itself, but you know, like we talk about, you know, people experiencing homelessness. Um, so, you know, uh, that, you know, just to ground that, you know, young people themselves are not inherently homeless. They're experiencing this thing that is going on in their lives, which is uh, messed up. It's wrong. And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, so in my role, like our service supports, um, young people that, you know, for whatever reason are experiencing homelessness. And, and a lot of this goes back to, we started talking about the treaty before, mm-hmm. um, Maori and Aotearoa, um, lost a whole lot of land, um, due to crown abuse abuses. Uh, and we're still dealing with the ramifications of that. So the group of people that I serve, the young people that come through my service, 80 to 9, 90% of them are tangata whenua, which isn't, you know, the indigenous people, mm. um, which is a shocking percentage considering, you know, um, considering the amount of, I guess, you know, the, the proportion to the population. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of that we can tie back to the land wars and the land grabs that occurred, you know, in the early 1800s. And, and I guess what the government had done at that point in time, what the yeah. crown did and what has continued. And so, you know, the work that we do really is around supporting the young people that are in that experience and trying to get them some sort of safe and stable housing. I lead a team of youth workers who provide like wraparound care and support. Um, and we kind of run this program where we have, um, we work with, you know, prior uh, community housing providers who provide sort of um, you know landlord management and then my team provide the sort of youth work and support in the day-to-day figuring out life and learning how to navigate that system of being in a home and really the, the key thing that we're, we're doing our, our key kaupapa our um, I guess grounding principles what we're trying to I guess work towards is to create a space of healing for our young people um, where they can heal from what has occurred what has happened to them. You know, one of the things when we talk about homelessness, it's often thought that a person is homeless because of something that they've done, that it's their fault, um, that they are the reason that they're in that situation. Yet, you know, when you take a wider view of what's going on, you know, most of the young people that we serve have been homeless their whole lives. Mm. So they were born into an experience of homelessness. You know, I've sat with a young man who's told me, hey, like from day one, I was uplifted from my family's home into the system. You know, spent his whole life in in and out of, uh, you know, residential facilities run by the government and then released onto the streets. You know, that's a like common experience. Whenever I talk to young people about how long have you experienced homelessness, most of them say like, this has just been my life. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what we're trying to do is intervene at an earlier stage because those people that you often see, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably similar in the States, those people you see on the street, they're just not a couple of people that made a couple of bad decisions. Mm-hmm. A lot of them would have been having those experiences at a very young age. We know that, you know, for at least in Aotearoa, those who have lived rough on the streets for a long period of time first began that experience when they were young. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole lot of trauma and, and harm that comes to a person through that. I have many, um, you know, clients at the bank that I work at that that have experienced homelessness or other financial distress that leads right up to the brink of that. And and yeah, I think you're right. Like, there, I, I think the stats that we get at the bank, you know, at there's like a, a research council that that does work on that. And I think it said the average American like doesn't have over four hundred dollars in the bank account. Could not handle an emergency like couldn't afford a tow truck without having to leverage some form of debt. Like it's everybody is like one trip off the wrong curb and have to go to the hospital and ambulance away from possibly having to deal with homelessness, Um, you know, for having the audacity to get sick or, you know, a a child gets sick or something like that. 
um, yeah, the, the, the lie that people inherently choose homelessness or, or did it to themselves is just capitalism. Does New Zealand have a similar issue with, with that mindset with capitalism? I don't know enough about the structure of New Zealand. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I've been, um, I don't know if you know Angela Davis at all black, um, feminist author and activist. Um, Mm-mm. yeah, she's, she's, I mean, she definitely recommend her work. Um, she's in New Zealand. I've been reading a, no, no, from, from the States was involved in the, you know, black power movements and the black liberation movement was imprisoned by the American government during that period of time. And, you know, she, she's been released since and does amazing work. And, you know, there's a really great book. I think it's, gender race and class that she's written you know mm-hmm. which is another sort of but anyway i bring it up in that like a lot of the narratives i've been reading you know sort of her work recently and a lot of the narratives that you have in the states are very similar to what we mm-hmm. experience here so you know there's and all of those you mentioned capitalism before you know all of those very tied to this neoliberal ideology um that really shapes us into commodities as human beings right me and you end up being seen and valued for what we produce um and there's another, there's another author that I really appreciate, um, Bruce Rogers Vaughan, um, who speaks sort of about the way that neoliberalism has, I guess, co-opted us as human beings in a way that we, you know, once again, the value is really centered in our commodity and what we can produce for a society. Um, but he talks about this thing called the privatization of suffering um, in that, you know, people's suffering, instead of seeing a collective sense of why a person has ended up in a situation they're in, we, we sort of privatize that person's suffering and put it directly within logic within the community. And so that, you know, let's take a bit that example of a homeless young person, you know, that young person is experiencing homelessness. They end up being the person who's responsible. You haven't worked hard enough. You haven't, you know, done X, Y, and Z. You haven't gone and found yourself a home. You haven't, you know, mm there must be some moral deficiency in you that you're in this situation. Now, never mind that that young person is dealing with, you know, generational trauma that their own family were experiencing homelessness and their own family have gone through some really intense and difficult things that they were removed from their home at a young age, regardless of um, any choices that they made were, were, were the, the state took responsibility of them, but never cared for them. And they were homeless through that whole experience. And then they were just chucked out of the system onto our streets and without any support or real safety net to care for them. Mm. Um, never mind that actually in New Zealand, if you're 16, 17, you can't get a tenancy. You can't, you know, find a house. I have young people who tell me all the time, man, I just need to work harder to get a house. I'm like, you can't you're you know? not old enough. actually the system the system is created you know one of the words i use is you know i try to move away from this talk around people being marginalized you know like marginalized communities we talk about that a, a lot but you know like what i prefer to say is structurally marginalized we've created a system and a structure which marginalizes people which puts those people in that situation and so when we're thinking about this homeless young person the system that we created, the collective decisions we made about how we govern our society, what we prioritize, what we were actually invest in and, and, you know, where we, you know, put our resources, mm-hmm. um, you know, has led us to a situation where we have children living on our streets, where we have, you know, growing inequality and poverty. Those are collective decisions we make. Um, and it's not the fault of those individuals, but we have that narrative that, yeah. Hey, you must, there must be something wrong with you. You must be lazy. You know, why are you not working so hard? Hmm. And we don't look back at that, that bigger picture of actually what is going on in society and how do we get to this point today? Let me back up to this because the question won't make any sense if we don't have a little un- underlying subtext. So at the beginning, 
what, 15, 16 minutes ago, you had said you work kind of at the intersection of justice, faith, and I think that's what you said, the intersection of justice mm. and faith, or maybe faith and justice. It's um, Either way, what is faith for you? Mm. Yeah, so, you know, I, I class myself as a follower of Jesus. Um, you know, I see huge potential in, you know, the Christian faith and the narrative and the story that is embedded in there. Once we rid it from, I guess, the, the taint of white supremacy and, you know, colonization and capitalism, um, there's a story in there that, that provides the groundwork for us to resist against you know, what I would name as neoliberal ideology against the, the hyper consumerism individualism of our Western empire that we live in. Right. And so, you know, the faith that I hold is, is one that is centered around this Brown indigenous activist, you know, the, this man named Jesus who, who came into the world in a world that was being colonized, a world that was, um, I guess, oppressed where we had, uh, you know, you know, one of the things we, we often don't see in the Christian story is that Jesus, you know, he didn't just become, you know, a human being. He became one of the most marginalized human beings in that world at that time. He became a baby who was completely weak, um, who was completely helpless. He became a Jew who was in that time, in that space, um, being oppressed and basically a second class citizen in their own land. Um, and he became one of the poor. Um, one of the outcasts of society, those who had no power, who had nothing. And, and this is what the divine says. The divine says that I've become one with those who have been marginalized. I've become one with those who are poor, with those who suffer, you know, and, and that's the story that I really, um, that gives me strength and hope that actually, Hey, the divine has become one with the poor. The, the divine is on the side of liberation. The divine is on the side of justice that actually God does pick a side and we who are called to follow him, it must choose, you know, are we with the empire with power, with capitalism, with wealth, or are we with Christ yeah. who stands on the margins and calls us to follow. And for me, that's a real challenge in that, you know, in, in my context, like I said before, I am Nati Pakia, I am Nomadi. My ancestors represent the empire. My ancestors are responsible for the colonization of this funeral. You know, when I look at the suffering around me, I have a part to play in that I am, in a way I have benefited from that and I continue to do so. And that Jesus calls and says, come follow me. So what does that mean for me? A Pakia man mm. who, who has benefited from the suffering of my brothers and sisters um, to join Christ. What does it mean to stand in solidarity with them? Mm. One of the stories that really speaks to me that I really, um, that pulls me on is that, is that story about, about the rich young man that comes to Christ. And we've heard that story before and it, it always gets, I guess, watered down to this point where, Hey, we're looking at it. Um, I, I guess often when we hear it, we, we, we think about how we can get out of giving up what we have. Right. But the way I see that story is, you know, Jesus, you know, once again, this man who, who was part of the marginalized class, who was poor, who was, you know, experiencing oppression and in poverty, um, he has this young man come up to him and say, Hey, how can I follow you? How can I inherit the kingdom of God? God, you know, and, and Jesus says, Hey, sell all you have and come and follow me. Now, one of the things we miss here is that for that man to be, even though he was a Jew, for him to be wealthy within that society meant that he had been benefiting from the exploitative tax system that existed within that society that was basically oppressing Jesus and those who were with him on the margins, the poor. Yeah. And so Jesus is saying, change sides. You know, join in solidarity with me, give up your status, your wealth, 
give up your power and your privilege and join me here with the poor on the margins. And I think that's the core for, for Pakia, for, for white Christians um, to say, actually, Hey, how do we change our status? How do we join Christ on the margins of society? Yeah. And, and so, and so I guess that's what I talk about that intersection of justice and faith that actually, you know, I believe the gospel is justice. It is about God. It's the good news that, that the kingdom of God is coming here to earth today. And that when we participate in that, that is the work of justice coming into this world. Mm, yeah. So are you familiar with the practice of Lectio Divina? Is that a thing you're familiar yeah. with? Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah, that, um, I have done that practice with that, that story of the, of the, the rich young man. And every single time that I do it and I kind of insert myself into the story, I always envision him looking over, looking at Matthew and being like, ah, but he doesn't look, I don't know. I'm not as like, I can't do that. Like I see what Matthew did. I, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Um, Cause I, I think I see a lot of myself in that of, yeah, I'd like to say I can do that. And sometimes I do well, but it's a different kind of animal. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe, I don't know. It just feels, it just feels right for me. It just feels right. Do you remember like last year I had all those weird ad breaks? Like it would just randomly be something. We're not doing that. Instead, I thought I'd do this. I need your help if you're able to. Head on over to the website for the show. There are two things that you can do. One is you head over to the website. You click the Patreon button or support button. I forget what I call it. And you jump in there. Those people help make the show a thing so that you can listen to it right now. Two, the easier one, you could just leave a rating and a review on the podcast app of choice that you currently use. Either one of those is fine. But I would love it if you would do either one, specifically the rating and reviewing. It's an exponential thing that the algorithms pick it up. And that's just math. It's just compounding on top of itself. Anyway, all that to say, that was it. That was the ad break. And now we're going to get back into it. So you wrote something on Instagram the other day that I've been saving specifically oh, yeah. for tonight. Yeah. Um, I don't remember when you wrote it because I, I'm too lazy to figure it out because I just took a screenshot. So, so I wrote a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it says, if we want to create new worlds, we have to find new words. Mm. What are you creating and what are some of those words? Yeah, I, I guess what I mean by that is is we need to create a language which enables us to live out of it, you know? And so one of the things that I, you know, if we talk about faith, but not just faith, just life in general, that the language that we have can either restrict us or it can open up doors into a new imagination, right? And so like, what are we trying to achieve? Where are we trying to go? And those questions um, I think are really important, but also then what words are we using in order to to create that, you know, we talked about faith right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a way to tell the Christian story that ends up just siding with, you know, systems of impression and power, which actually just continues to marginalize people and continues to uphold the status quo. Well, there's a way of talking about it and telling that story that brings freedom and liberation and, and centers love and centers the voices of those who've been oppressed and harmed. Right. So, so I guess what we're talking about is how, how do we use our language and the words that, that we speak to transform our reality, to change our reality, to transcend it. A few days ago, the 15th of, I don't know if it's my 15th or your 15th, I think it's all the same 15th eventually, <laughs> New Zealand banned conversion therapy, correct? That's mm. that's a thing that yeah. happened. It made yep. the news here as well. Like that's that's a thing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 
It's a big thing. I feel mm-hmm. like there was another country as well recently that has done that as well. Maybe I'm wrong. But how does that sit with the faith community in New Zealand? Because like, I can see mm-hmm. how that would sit. I don't even actually see how that would ever make it to the Senate or congressional floor um, here in the United States. But how does that sit with the faith bodies in New Zealand, something like that? Because I think so much of the church is wrapped up in fear-mongering and othering around people's gender and sexuality when that's not even the point of the gospel. But like, how does that sit there? Yeah, I actually read a piece on this just recently. Um, uh, which I should send to you if you like. But it's, it's fairly... Um, I mean, it's diverse, right? You know, I think there was definitely a lot of fear in the lead up of the campaign um, within some aspects of the Christian community. Yeah, we saw something really interesting in that there was a huge number of, you know, churches and Christian organizations that came out in support of the ban to, you know, to the ban, the bill to ban conversion therapy. There was also, um, you know, leaders on both sides, both conservative and, and liberal, um, progressive, that were in support of the ban. There was some debates around some of the wording and, and the way things should go, but there was a lot of support for the ban and conversion therapy overall. Um, there's definitely still, you know, there's still a good segment of, of the Christian community that I think would be really challenged by that and are really struggling with it. Um, but I guess we've got a, a little bit of a tension where there's, you know, different voices within, you know, our faith spaces who are, who are sort of leaning in different ways. Um, but I think it's really positive in that the doorway through these things opens up to further conversation. You know, how do we actually then talk about this in a way that brings us forward to a more life-giving and life-fulfilling space? And something that I found really interesting about, I think it was about four years ago, where I sort of wrote my first article you know, talking about what I believe to be, you know, a flaw within the Christian community around the harm that has been caused our, our rainbow, our queer whanau. Um, and, and I've been more public about that since, um, you know, I've also sort of delivered training, sort of talking about how do we have this conversation in the church to move people along on the journey. Um, but one of the things I found really interesting is that more and more, I, I am noticing that there is a growing amount of people, and I don't know if it's the same in the States, but there's a growing enough people here in Aotearoa anyway that are becoming more and more uncomfortable with the harm that has been caused queer people mm-hmm. and the understanding that something within our theology is not quite right. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not have it all. They might still be fairly conservative. They may still have fairly conservative theology, but there's a sense in it growing that actually maybe something's wrong in the way that we are thinking about this and the way that we are practicing this um, and a desire for something to change. And so, yeah, there's still a lot of work to do to to really shift that. But you know, I think that's a positive place to start. Yeah, I um I had a guest, and the episode hasn't aired, although it probably will have by the time this is out. Mm. Um, and she had says I had asked her kind of a similar question, but but not quite the same way. And I think she, what she said was she thinks that um, many youth in in the in the faith communities, and not just in the Christian church, and in, in many faith communities are, um, regardless of their views, feel like something is wrong when their friends that they're in community with who happen to be gay or LGBTQ or whatever word you want to put on there aren't welcome. And they're basically like, I, I, I believe in something, but I can't come and be a part of this because you, you aren't like the people that I care about, you don't care about it. it they don't seem to matter to you. You say they do, but, but they don't actually seem to matter to you. Um, that sounds very similar to what you're saying. How do you lead those conversations? Like you said, you, you, you've done some, some talks and whatnot. Like, how do you even begin to do something like that? 
I, you know, for me, I think it's about starting where people are, you know, we, we've got to really, um, yeah, I guess maybe to ground this in, in what it means to be an ally, you know, also, you know, and, and to be in solidarity with people, especially for people who are coming from outside of that community that is being oppressed. Um, is that sometimes, and I guess it was maybe a critique to, to Pakia, to white people, is that we can take on all the harm, the anger, and almost, you know, the frustration, and we just yell at people that aren't where we are. And we forget that we went on a journey, you know, so I came from a fairly conservative whanam, you know, who really loved people, but had a really conservative theology. And I had to go through a journey. And how did I get there? I had people who were patient with me, who had conversations, who challenged me in spaces, who shared their story, who didn't exclude shame or, you know, condemn me, but actually all with me through a journey. Um, and, and often we, you know, when we, when we take our steps on that journey, we, we forget that we had to take those steps. Right. So, so for me, it's about, and everything I do, uh, I have this phrase, love is the way that sort of like grounds me in my advocacy and my work, um, that love is the path that we should walk. And that actually, you know, when we're trying to wrestle against these big issues and challenges and systems and narratives that are causing harm to people, we still got to see the humanity of the person who stands in front of us. Mm. Even that person that we believe holds theology or worldviews or politics that are extremely harmful, they're still a human being. And that idea that they may hold that it's harming someone else is, is very often harming them as well. You know, mm. uh, this whole mm. narratives of, you know, homophobia and white supremacy, all that, that, that harms us. You know, we can't truly be human when we're demeaning and degrading someone else. So, so the place to start is with love, you know, to see the humanity of another and then to engage them where they are. And so I'll start a very different conversation with someone who's never had this conversation. Then I'll start with someone who's maybe had this a few other times. Like what is their concerns? What are the things, the narratives that they're bringing up and addressing those narratives and then talking them through, exploring the logic of them, you know, drawing on our collective values and trying to engage a conversation rather than just throwing stones, yeah. if, if that makes sense. Yeah, we can't truly be human if what we're doing is is not loving other people. I like that. That's that, that's 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 powerful. One of the things I've learned from uh, well, I've learned a lot about from really um, a lot of people of color activists, theologians. You know, people like you know Martin Luther King, yes, um, but name a teak. I don't know if you know him, but he was a liberation theologian um, in Palestine. You know, so you know a community that are oppressed on every end. You know, hated by the Christians in America and the West in general, hated by you know Muslims, hated by their own brothers and sisters. Um, Led has learnt to to love through that. One of the things he talks about in his you know resistance against um, you know the Israeli state and the impression that they experienced at the, at the hands of, of Israel was to actually see the humanity of those people to say yes, we're going to actively non-violently resist. Yet we're going to do it in love. Mm. We are not going to hate these people because we actually recognize that they need to be liberated from this hatred that they have of us. That hey, we may be physically oppressed, but they are spiritually, mentally oppressed as well. And so the act of resistance, the act of you know advocacy and um, rebellion against these narratives is also in the hopes that we can redeem and restore those who uphold those narratives, who uphold those systems of oppression back into their full humanity also. Yeah. Who are, so for your website, when lambs are silent, uh, when lambs are silent, that's how you say that word. Um, well, who are the lambs? And then, yeah, who are the lambs? Yeah. Um, I named this so long ago and I, I do get people 
asking that question. I guess the, 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 the imagery I was thinking about was that when, you know, those who are in a position of vulnerability or, you know, have been marginally, you know, structurally marginalized within our society, those who, you know, in one sense are innocent of the oppression that they're experiencing are silenced. Um, you know, that's when, you know, evil prevails in our society. When those voices aren't elevated, when those voices aren't heard, that is when, you know, um, we lose our way. Um, so, you know, when Lambs a sign that really came from my frustration that at the time, um, the, the, the general narratives in our society were being set by people who were just completely removed from the suffering of our people, you know, like, you know, wealthy white men who had a huge platform because of, you know, the way that things are structured mm-hmm. and who were trying to tell us all what it meant to be poor and why people were poor and why people were suffering and that it was just their lack of personal responsibility and their lack of morals. And I wanted to try to create a space where we could start to challenge that narrative and start to provide opportunities for other voices to be heard. So, you know, I do a lot of writing on it, but I'm always trying to find um, an open space for others to have their, you know, those, those, those voices and those stories to be elevated. Is it just you? Cause it like, you like post like every two or three days, is it just you or is there like a team there? uh just me that runs it but um you know i reach out to people i try to get people writing and, yeah. and do that sort of thing but yeah just myself that sort of got oh, it off the ground that's a lot that's a lot of that's a lot of work i know how quickly a hobby can become work that's a lot of work um yeah 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 is. yeah um so a couple final questions and i want to give you back to your family what are one or two things that you feel like need to be focused on and allowed to be discussed in faith communities? And if not, there's not really a point of having them. That's a big question. I mean, we could go a lot of ways with that. Um, (laughs) Look, and I know that there's there's still, uh, people will be in different spaces. I don't know where you sit with us, bro, but you know, like one of the things that I think we really need to be examining is, is the way that, you know, I, th- I believe that faith has very much been co-opted by a neoliberal ideology, right? Um, and, and we see it ourselves in, in, in these, in a, in a lot of ways where, you know, the Christian church, um, rather than being communities of resistance that can push back against some of these dominant narratives that are in our society, they end up just sort of supporting the status quo, you know, um, you talked about sort of that individuality, um, that individual responsibility that, I mean, even yourself mentioned that you feel like, what can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, even that is a neoliberal idea, this idea of individuals needing to get involved and make change where actually faith with a Christian faith is about a community. It's about a people. Um, and I think the story of Christianity once again, has this opportunity to, to offer resistance and that, you know, the, the idea of the church is to be this alternative community in the heart of the empire. Mm. So what that conversation, I think we need to be asking ourselves is what does it mean to be this alternative community? What does it mean to be a community that, that lives as if the divine dream were reality today? You know, how do we restructure our communities so that we can realize that dream? You know, and in my vision of the divine dream, when I look at the way that Christ lived and walked and taught is that it's a world where poverty doesn't exist, where homelessness isn't a thing, where we actually care for people and planet. And we put that at the center of, 
what we do. It's not just about going to church and having an individualized sermon, individualized message, and then going back and trying to individually apply it to ourselves and to our communities and, mm. you know, go to work and then come back. It's about how do we form communities of resistance? How do we form communities centered on love for people and planet that actually bring healing and restoration and hope? Um, you know, that's a big question and a big conversation. But I think it's the <laughs> thing we need to start start wrestling with, you know? Yeah. I like I like big questions. And I want to define a neoliberalism. Neo oh my God. Neoliberalism for those. And you can correct me if I'm wrong in this. It's been a mm. long time since I was at school um and studied that, and it is not what I do now. So neoliberalism is like um, a reduction in government spending and like deregulation, right? Like free market capitalism, deregulate everything. The free market will figure it out, like trickle down economics, that kind of stuff. Mm. But what's funny is, and if, if my definition is right, um, economies and governments built on neoliberalism apparently do not believe in not spending more on the military and defense spending just on everything else. Um, mm. maybe I'm wrong. That is neoliberalism, correct? Because I wanted to kind of yeah, wrap and, a cloak and, around that. And I that think word. one of, one of the one of the, the aspects of neoliberalism. And once again, um, Angela Davis writes a lot about this. Um, I mentioned the book Bruce uh, Rogers Vaughan talks about neoliberalism and, and the care for soul, um, and really argues that actually neoliberalism is more than about economics. It's it's become a culture and ideology which has permeated the globe. Mm. Um, and when we look at a lot of those narratives, those narratives about, um, you know, a colorblind society around personal responsibility about, you know, meritocracy that, you know, that we all just need to work hard and we'll get ahead. Those are all part and parcel with, you know, neoliberal ideology. It all sort of comes in and under that. Um, and, and I think learning to name that is hard because, you know, because of the depth of some of those stories that we've been told about you know, our society, our culture, what it means to be human. It does, it does take a bit to try to name those stories and then figure out how do we resist and, and push back on them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are actually other things if people want to do the Googles. So there are other options. So you can talk about socialism. You can talk about uh, Keynesianism and we're not going to talk about this because this is primarily a theological podcast, but um, although Keynesianism, I could have a conversation on that because it's an economic system and that's what I do for a living. But anyway, um, when you, uh, Aaron, try to wrap words around the divine, what is that? Uh, the simplest the simplest way I say and is that the divine is love, you know, that love is who and what God is um, and that love is experienced in the world through, you know, our connections with one another. Um, but also a, a powerful force that is working towards justice and liberation um, across the globe. Where do you want people to go and do the things as it, as it is related to what you're doing on the internet? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we're not on the internet. Follow. Maybe they're in yeah. New Zealand. <laughs> Who knows? They can go wherever they want to go. Yeah. I mean, you can follow me on when lambs are selling. Um, uh, both Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook as well. Got a podcast also. Um, so I talk about some of the stuff. Um, and then I have sort of my personal um, Instagram and, and Facebook page, which is AJ Hendry, um, writer, I think. But yeah. <laughs> he said, I think. I don't even know what the name is. It's, maybe it has writer. Maybe it, maybe it doesn't. Man, I appreciate <laughs> you making time to make this work. I know this is, um, I know it was hard to find the time to make work. I, I appreciate you. No, thanks for having me on, bro. It's great to have a chat. Now, I haven't added it up, 
but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasts on the internet, and I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows. Not always in real time, but I do my best. And if you go back in the logs, you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like. The show is recorded and edited by me, but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show. That is one of the best, if not the best way that you can support the show. If you get anything at all out of these episodes, if you think on them or if you, you know, you're out and about and you tell your friends about it or, hey, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, boss, pastor, here's what I heard. What are your thoughts on that? If this is helping you in any way, and it is helping me, consider supporting the show in that manner. It is extremely inexpensive, but collectively, it is so very much helpful. Now for you, I pray that you are blessed and you know that you're cherished and beloved. We'll talk soon.